Before we get started in this episode, a quick announcement. As you know, I'm very passionate about acceptance and commitment therapy, and I also run a busy practice in Canberra. We're currently looking for psychologists who are registered in Australia to join our team, who are also passionate about learning about ACT. We provide supervision on a group and individual basis and training around ACT. So if this is you, if you're interested, please express your interest at strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers. Look forward to hearing from you. And now back to this episode. Okay, life can be crazy. You're feeling like you're sinking. Just trying to find a meaning. It's time for better thinking. Yeah, better thinking. Time to tune in. Let's go. Welcome back to Better Thinking. My name is Nesh Nikolic and today's guest is Professor Arnold Bakul. He's a professor in work and organizational psychology and a very fascinating conversation today around work engagement, job crafting, playful work design. Never heard of that before, but it's it's fascinating about how we can get intrinsic value out of our work, even if it's boring. Uh, job stress, burnout, uh, and work-life balance. So lots of topics covered. Absolute brilliant mind. Hope you enjoy this episode. Arnold, a big thank you for coming onto the show. Okay, um, happy to be here. Lovely. I, I, I'm really excited about talking to you about, you know, this, this whole space around work um, and, and the many sort of aspects that probably a lot of us haven't even considered in, in work. You know, the usual places, you know, work-life balance, work stress uh, and, you know, burnout. But I know that you explore work in a very, very different way and, and in your work, which, which, which is what really attracted me to reaching out and and uh, getting you on the show. So hoping to kind of go a little bit further than that. Let me ask you first, how did you get into this, this, this space, you know, of, of you know, organisational psychology and looking at work, work in the way that you do? Well, maybe if I start with the real beginning, I was, when I was at the high school, I was interested in, in people and in economy. And, and I thought that econometrics would, would be the study for me. So I started studying econometrics, but that was very much statistics and mathematics. So I'm very much into that, but, um, and I can work with numbers very well, but I'm more interested in people. So, so I dropped out. I worked as a salesperson for two years, and then I, I continued to read, and I was attracted to academia back by reading about Freud, and Freud, okay, Freud is passé, uh, but it was very inspirational for me. Um, um, so I went back to the university, started to study, and then I found out of um, this discipline called organizational psychology. So I actually studied organizational psychology, but also social psychology and methods. Um, um, uh, but then I, I specialized in studying people in organizations, and I, and I really like it because what I find a little bit more difficult, so many of your listeners are, are into more the clinical scene, but what I find difficult with the clinical context is, is that sometimes it goes in ways that, that you cannot really um, yeah, control, let's say. I find that complicated. So I, 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 I prefer to work with people who work. And uh, that is not to say that they don't get into troubled situations. So I'm happy to 
to, to work with them in, in that troubled situation. But it's not an extreme situation, let's say, uh, for me to, to study people and to help people with, with new ideas, with interventions and support. Yeah. It's fascinating because often when I'm hiring here in the practice, I, I often talk about the importance of there being a real strong synergy of, you know, the practice and, and staff getting along with each other and, you know, how we relate because we, we spend so much of our time at work. I mean, I know it's not half our life if we do it by, by hour, but it, it must be very close to half of, of our, yeah. at least during the week life or, or even our thinking life because we're, we're so in it. So I, I can see, you know, your work being, you know, uh, very clinical in nature when we think about how much time we, we invest in that space. So it, it's exciting. It's exciting to, to talk about. Yeah, I, I totally agree that 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 and, the, and there is a philosopher. It's called it's a Dutch philosopher Achterberg. He he used to say that that work is is a strange thing. It 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 can make you sick, but it can also help you to be to feel okay. So so work can be stressful, but it can give you also satisfaction, um, uh, engagement. You can read certain things. It's important to many people, not only for earning a living. But particularly also to, yeah, let's say, let's use the word of self-actualization. So to, to get to doing something very well and to be proud on that. So, so I think in that sense, it's, it's very, um, very important to many people. Uh, part of our identity is based on it. Um, uh, and, and even if you are, um, or not even, but it doesn't matter if you are a professor or a plumber, I think that your identity is, is partly based on how well you do your work. And uh, of course, there are always groups that just want to work and have a living and, and have some income. But for many people, it's much more than that. Yeah. Certainly resonates for me because I know personally, work is a huge part of who I am. I mean, I love work. I love working hard. I identify as a hard worker. That's kind of who I am. Uh, and it's not necessarily... The hours I work, you know, in, in the office, if I'm gardening, you know, I'm, you know, uh, sweating up a storm, I'm, I'm going at full, you know, 100%. That, that's who I am. And maybe that's because I've seen my parents do that. They were migrants, they worked hard, that was their ethos, their ethics, uh, their work ethic. Uh, and you know, if I kind of look at my brother, he does exactly the same. So I can see how important it can be for some, at least, and, and probably a vast majority. In actual fact, that you know, if we take the word paid work, um, you know, because there's lots of parents out there who are full-time carers, full-time parents, that yeah. I think they would argue that they're working too, right? And I would argue yeah. with them. Yeah. Well, work is a structured activity, and it applies to many things that are not paid for. So volunteer work would, would qualify, um, uh, caring for other people qualifies, of course. If it is a structured activity, then you can qualify it as work. And, and yeah, what else can you say? Maybe, maybe through work, you accomplish something that is maybe a defining characteristic of work. And then if that something has an impact on one person that you find very important, then you can have a major impact on that person or could be your family or could be your neighbor but if you are um, doing work with which you can reach more people you can have maybe even more impact and and i think yeah for many people that is that is important and maybe partly even 
uh, an ex existential question. So why am I here yeah, to do something good, to have impact? I like the idea of structured activity. Uh, and what you said in terms of being able to do more achievements, you know, the, the satisfaction that becomes, uh, that comes from that. Um, in so many ways, the whole reason why I have a, a, a practice. My, my logic is if I see a client uh, for that hour, I am impacting that one life and maybe the ripple effect from that one life. And in a day, I might impact six people and the impact I might have in, in, in their lives. But if I have a practice full of psychologists that, that I've supported and assisted and helped that they can do their amazing work as a collective, it makes me feel uh, like I'm achieving a whole, whole lot more. Interestingly, yep. though, when uh, work is going hard because I identify so much with it, uh, it impacts me emotionally uh, yep. as well, which, you know, is, is, is something that, that, that's hard when it's bound in, in, in your identity so much. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So, so um, I remember a saying by... Elena Pines, a burnout researcher who published a chapter in a book in 1993. And she said, in order to burn out, you first have to be on fire. So what it means is that if you are really identifying with your work and you're really into it, then, then you, you, you have also a lot to lose. So you could for example, be so enthusiastically involved that you forget about your private life um, um, or you take home the issues of your clients and your, your worries so that it starts to interfere with your private life. And then if that hampers your, your, your other life domain, then, then you might be in trouble. So yet you would have work family interference. You may start to behave more like a workaholic and if you run into that um, habitual behavior, let's say, then um, stress will ensue. And if stress then accumulates, you may start to burn out and, and become exhausted uh, by your work. So, so, so you have to regulate. You have to self-regulate. That is not easy, particularly if you're very enthusiastic because you want to do, you're really enthusiastic about what you do, you're dedicated, you have a lot of energy, and then you, you, you do your work with all this enthusiasm, but then, um, yeah, you can only peak if you also have lows. So you have to also detach from your work, say, okay, this was the day, and now I'm going to do other things uh, so that the next day you are fresh again and you can peak again. What are the sorts of challenges that you see in your practice and, and, and research in um, those that are um, uh, on fire? How, how do they you know, manage or what are the pitfalls? What are the, the, the things to look out for? Well, an interesting challenge is that if you're really good at something, Okay, then, so I, I want to say this first because, because I, I, it, it went through my head in, um, uh, two minutes ago. So first of all, um, I want to say that, that um, uh, it, it reminds of the difference regarding happiness that Aristotle was already making. He was talking about hedonism and eidomonia. So eidomonia is that you, 
you feel good because of something you accomplish. And that is what you can really do through work. So you, you put in a lot of effort and you, and you do good things. So, so, so you accomplish something. So that is what, what work can do for you. Uh, and that could also be getting your garden ready for the summer or for spring and working very hard on it. So, so, so that gives you this feeling of having something accomplished. But then it, the challenge is that if um, you are good at something and you're successful, then more work will come to you. You will get more clients, you have more things to, to do, to publish, to, to, to talk to more clients and support. Um, um, then it will be hard, harder to um, deal with the stress and the, um, uh, let's say, the fatigue that comes with the job demands by saying, okay, now I'm going to, to detach myself psychologically or now I'm going to relax because you're in this work mode and, and, and what people often then do is they, add, um, they cope with the stress in a maladaptive way. So you start to avoid certain things or you do things in a hurry, um, you start to make mistakes. Uh, so instead of adjusting the situation so that the stress is not accumulating, stress is accumulating and therefore you run into more problems because you start the next day already fatigued and then you meet your clients and you don't come up with the best solution or you're a little bit irritated, you don't have all the empathy that is needed to understand what the, what the client needs or what your work problem needs, you're not creative and, and then it goes from, from bad to worse. So yeah, so this, this regulation of fatigue, that is really difficult. So, so, so fatigue is of course a stop emotion. So if I'm really tired, that tells me, okay, now you have to stop. But if I overrule that continuously, then I might be in trouble. That is the problem of many people. And what do you mean by fatigue? What's the... The understanding are we talking physical is it a lack of sleep is it an emotional uh is it sort of um when we kind of you know might be kind of like carers fatigue what what are you referencing can you talk us a little bit through that yeah that's a very good question and it's very complicated um so so in the literature what you see is that fatigue People talk about it in different streams. So you, you, you have experimental psychology where they see fatigue even um, as indicated by reduced performance. So, so when people start to perform less well, they say, okay, they are fatigued. Okay, yeah, for me as an organization psychologist, that's an outcome of fatigue. So, so the outcome of fatigue is lower performance, but fatigue is, yeah, there are many ways to go about this. It can be physical, so that you have certain physical symptoms in your body telling you, okay, you have to stop or you cannot really move very well. Or there are physiologic, <clears throat> sorry, physiological um, uh, things happening in your body, like your cortisol levels are, are changing. Um, uh, that, can be, that can be indications of fatigue, but then think about the time that you went running and you come back really fatigued, physically fatigued, but mentally you're fresh. So there is also, let's say, mental fatigue. 
Um, so mental fatigue is more about that you have difficulties concentrating or keeping your um, uh, switching attention flexibly, um, uh, things like that. That's the second form. And the third form would, of course, be emotional um, exhaustion, where you cannot empathize anymore. Um, you feel it difficult to control your emotions. And maybe there are more, more forms of fatigue. Um, 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 but the problem is, um, and we know all this, that, that, that there are different forms of fatigue, but they correlate like crazy. So if you want to study them and you want to separate physical from mental fatigue, what I try to do, for example, I, I study the impact of sport, let's say running, on feelings of um, burnout at work. And there is a relationship. Um, if you do that moderately, run, run moderately and frequent, frequently, uh, but, but not overdo it uh, and, and not start when you're already super burned out, then it helps to keep uh, the fatigue levels uh, okay. But, but I mean, um, uh, the different types of fatigue, they really are intertwined. And uh, so if you're high on physical fatigue, you are more likely to be also high on cognitive fatigue and on emotional fatigue. So that's a little bit of a problem, analytically. And, and where does that, I know this might sound like a lazy question, but uh, I think it's, it, it, it's, it's still an important question. Where does the fatigue come from? You know, like you, is it how we're approaching our work? I mean, I think it's easy to say when someone's doing, you know, 80 hours a week or 100 hours a week, we can all see that, you know, your lack of sleep, uh, you know, and, and you're not, not putting enough attention on other areas of your life. That, 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 that's easy to observe. But for the common person, you know, who might be doing 40 hours or 45, um, you know, where, where does that fatigue come from yeah yeah that's actually it's it's a tricky question it's a tricky question it's it's easy to say oh okay i know where it comes from um but 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 so many things go through my head so first of all let me start with the example of how do you call these people who make streets and who work with stones uh, like stone masons is it stone uh... Say it again. Stone, stone masons. Stone masons. So imagine that I'm a stone mason and I'm 100 kilos. I'm a, I'm a, I'm I'm two meters long, and I'm a heavy, strong person. Then for me, it will be easier to carry the stones than for a person who is 160 and who is, uh, let's say, 70 kilo. So my fatigue will, um, so after carrying the same stones the whole day, I will be more fatigued as a, as a lighter person than as a strong, heavy person. So, so the constitution, the physical constitution of different people is different. So that determines how much you can handle. So, okay. Um, what happens then usually is that people select themselves out for certain jobs that they can handle. So if I'm if I'm one meter sixty and I'm I'm only sixty kilo, I'm a very light person. I'm not going to do this strong physical work because that would fatigue me so much that and I would make mistakes. I would drop the stones. That would not be my type of work. 
And the same goes for all kinds of jobs. So people usually go for and have ambitions in areas where they are good at, what they can do. But sometimes, of course, people want to do things that they, they shouldn't be willing to do, or they, 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 they are not able to do. They want to make a career, let's say, as a, as a politician. I, I just read a story early in the morning that a politician did something wrong and so forth. So that's why I was primed to think about this politician. And this politician did certain things in private lives that, that are completely um, not in line what, with what he should do, what, what he's doing as a, as a public uh, servant. Uh, so then, yeah, you're not doing what you should be doing. So, so there needs to be a fit between the person and the environment. And once you have selected yourself out as an accountant in an accountancy firm, and you're good in numbers, and you can concentrate, and you have this education, and, and, and you have a certain uh, amount of introversion to be able to go through the staple of bills and, and things to do, and, and you like this. Okay, but then, okay, then you have selected yourself out. There is a person environment fit, but then it's all about, and that is what our theory says about job demands and resources, the, the demands in your environment and the resources in your environment. And what I mean with, with demands are things like work pressure, the um, um, uh, clients that come with certain issues, um, um, demanding customers, um, mentally straining complex problems, all the things of work that are uh, costing energy. That is what I call job demands. And we can deal with a lot of it. And if we do so, we perform well. But in order to be able to deal with these job demands, we need job resources. So, so we need things like social support, we need autonomy that we, we can decide on our own when we will do something or how we uh, exactly will do something. So autonomy is an important job resource. Feedback is a job resource. Supervisory coaching is a job resource. So the combination of demands and resources helps you uh, to avoid fatigue, to stay well at work, and then to perform well. That is what we find, but that is after having selected yourself out for a certain job. I'm, I'm assuming that uh, when there is a, an, an imbalance is assuming that person and environment fit is, uh, has been accounted for. Uh, at that point, it's, it's, it's a balance between the demands and resources. Uh, and yep. I'm assuming each person is probably looking for something unique to them. That uh, is kind of like a, uh, a particular recipe for each of us as to how much our manager provides us with, you know, or, or autonomy or feedback or coaching, uh, social support. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and that'll be different to, you know, my colleague who might want more or less of, 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 of um, each of those, so to speak. Yeah, so that's that's a very good uh, that's that's a very good point. And so 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 actually, um, your colleague who might want more of these job resources could do two things. You could either say, okay, this is not the place to be. Um, I want to work in another organization where more of these job resources are provided for the demands that I have to deal with. Um, so I'm going to look somewhere else. I'm, look, I'm looking for another job. Mm -hmm. Or what we have seen in our research in the past 
11, 12 years on job crafting, that is that people can proactively look for these resources themselves. So you can ask for support. You can go to your manager and say, give me some feedback. Or you can ask for more responsibilities or start a new project. Um, so, so you're, of course, to a certain extent, you are free to, to, to mold the work such that it fits better with your maybe changing preferences. So, for example, you have this personal environment fit when you, when you get into an organization. If you're lucky, if, if you made the right choice and, and the organization made the right choice, there's a good fit. Uh, your qualifications fit with the job. But then over time, the job changes, you change, and there's going to be a misfit. So you always need to work on your environment and on yourself in order to stay engaged. That is what our work shows. So that's what you mean by job crafting, that you are changing the job, altering the job, uh, uh, creating iterations of what it uh, what it first was to, to maybe, you know, 2.0, 3.0 to suit one's, uh, one's person. And, and so as the person changes, even though the environment was a fit, it no longer is and, and it needs to kind of move with them. Exactly. Uh, or it might be preemptive that it, it creates enough variability or change or challenge that, that tends to fit for that person. Exactly. So, so you can always also, if you always do your work in the same way, it might after a while not be challenging anymore. But who stops you from starting to do your work in a slightly different way? Or by using talents that you have, maybe you've developed them in your, in your free time. Um, you're a very creative person. You work in a job where creativity is not, not really necessary, but you can start using your creativity in your work and do your work in a slightly different way. And if you do so, then by using your strengths, since you are super good at it, you will probably be successful. And that success will then drive your performance. It will give you confidence. It will, um, it will fuel your engagement. So yeah, I think it's very important that you find out where you are good at, where your passion is, and then use that uh, to do your work maybe slightly in a different way. And, and, and we've seen now with at least in most places in the world with COVID-19, that we needed to adjust our, our work. And many people needed to start to work from home, um, uh, to meet people through um, Zoom or other video conferencing tools. Um, and we, we are coping relatively well with it, actually. So, so we hear stories that many people are depressed. And, and, and of course, a lot of things are happening. But if I look over time, we have assessments of um, one and a half year ago, we have assessments during in, in the height of the uh, COVID crisis. And I don't see big drops in engagement. I don't see super big increases in burnout. Maybe if it continues like this for, for a few more years, we may be really in trouble. But at the moment, I think that people, they are really adjusting. They are crafting their jobs. They're doing things differently and they make the best of it. That is, that is, of course, a very healthy way of coping. I foolishly jumped the gun in my mind and thought that uh, people would um, uh, quickly adapt to trying to return back to work um, rather than working from, from home. Um, well, my apologies. I thought that organisations would strongly push for... 
uh, people to come back to work, uh, for, you know, for productivity point of view and 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 the like. Uh, do you have any data in 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 that space as to how has this this sort of COVID world changed uh, people's whether it be satisfaction or productivity uh, levels, you know, or, or autonomy going up? Uh, you know, how how is feedback sort of occurring? What what's been your experience? Uh, you know, coming from a place that that's more learned rather than me just jumping the gun and just having an opinion. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think you are really lucky in Australia because I've seen, I, I collaborate with people in Adelaide and, and, and I've seen that there is much more uh, freedom to move than we have here at the moment. Um, but anyway, I think that in many places in the world, it, it's maybe nice to refer to a paper that we wrote for American psychologists with a team of 29 authors from organizational psychology and management about COVID-19 and the workplace. So people can look it up. I think it's freely accessible. Otherwise, you can find it on my website, arnoldbucker.com. Um, um, and, and what we see is that with COVID-19, okay, this has, of course, a lot of challenges. So there are certain new demands, like I was referring to job demands, things that cost you energy, like you have to learn to deal with digital media. Um, um, you're working, uh, we are doing running a long and a big study at my university, Erasmus University in Rotterdam. We follow uh, my colleagues over time and we see that the biggest demand is that they, they um, work solitary, that they, they find that they, they experience social isolation. They feel alone um, because everybody's at home alone. Uh, the work pressure is still high, but the title of our report um, to the board of our university was still hanging in there. So we are okay, let's say. But what I also see in research, we have published several papers about it, um, 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 uh, studying people during COVID-19. Um, we see that the proactive behavior, what is needed to be engaged becomes even more important now that we are alone working at home, uh, we cannot meet so easily or uh, colleagues and friends uh, with whom we work. Um, so proactivity, self-starting behavior has become more important. And if you do so, then, then, then you can really accomplish a lot of things. That is what we noticed. And I know this might not be very scientific, but what, what do you think is going to... Uh, uh, um, happen after you know post COVID. Do, do do you see there being this natural? I mean, I'm just theorizing here. Natural desire for us to be social. That predominant predominant sort of a, uh, attitude or understanding is that we're a social being. Uh, that we want to go back in into the workplace. Is it going to be driven by workplaces kind of saying? We want you back because that's where we see productivity and collaboration. What do you think is going to happen? Obviously, we're just theorizing, but what, what, what do you see? I, well, I see there is also some discussion about that in the, in the popular media, um, um, about management consultants, and I've spoken to many people who work in practice. I think that, that most people think that we will have a blended reality in the future. So we will partly work from home, let's say, two most people think three days a week if you are a white collar worker and two days 
go to the office to meet people um, um, in in well to have meetings um, to meet people in a kind of cafeteria. You don't need your normal workspaces. That is the that is the feeling that people have. Also, your question reminds me of of the following. I I, I we bought a, a, a new house and the house is next to a, a big park in Utrecht, where I live. And um, so we are in the middle of COVID-19. We have uh, people cannot go to work unless you are working in a hospital or you have a vital um, occupation, as they say. Um, uh, so you need to deliver goods, supermarkets and so forth. These people work, but most people work at home. So we had a very nice um, day, very sunny day early in the spring. I think it was beginning April or end of March. It was fantastic, 22 degrees Celsius. And the park, it was packed with people. Um, everybody was there. Um, 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 people were barbecuing, people were drinking, uh, partying. So I think what will happen after we are all vaccinated people will enjoy as much as possible. They will start to travel more than before. So we say, okay, we will probably travel less. No, I don't think so. I think we will travel more and pretty fast. Maybe in the beginning it will be slow because we are still a little bit afraid, but then we get more than back to normal. We get over the top. Um, and and I've, I've read about stories what happens after major events like wars and so forth. And people really want to celebrate. They want to be together and to do crazy stuff. And uh, we are now so confined to, to small areas and uh, our own home and so forth. So in addition to willing to go to work, but, but then not um, 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 five days a week, probably two, maybe three days a week go, go to um, on location. But um, I think people will start to move a lot and have a lot of new initiatives, uh, start to invest their money. Um, I, I think there will be a lot of engagement and enthusiasm. Yeah. Almost like a compensatory effect of, of uh, really so. appreciating what they did have and, and therefore grabbing more of it because you know they might've taken it for granted. Uh, and, and kind of uh, recognizing that there, there, there's real um, importance in having those and, and compensating them to have more of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah you can see in Australia, there's a lot of things, and obviously, Australia is a bit of a bubble, and a lot of our uh, listeners are, are Australian, but uh, Australia is a bit of a bubble in that we've been very mildly affected by. Um, you know, COVID as a whole, you know, there certainly has been some regions, there's been some strong lockdowns and the like, but, you know, if, if I speak over the last several several months and maybe even longer, we're quite, um, uh, uh, you know, in some sense, uh, non-affected in, in, in many, many ways. And our economy, at least it appears, and I can't obviously speak for every region, but it, it just seems like it's gone berserk you know caravans are you know you're being sold and you know you if, if you put in an order it's going to take you know six you know eight yeah. nine ten twelve months to, to get it people are buying you know pools and, and not everyone obviously but car sorry cars are, are going like hot cakes and um and you know, people buying bikes you know a lot of gym equipment and cycling and camping going to the outdoors 
there's a lot of stimulation and obviously huge government spending and stimulation, but it seems like there's been a bounce back that I certainly wouldn't have predicted. I, I, I thought, you know, doom and gloom, it's all broken, everything's everything's finished, you know, yeah. it's a crisis. Uh, and I don't know, I still scratch my head and look around and, and I know we're in a bubble, but it's like, you know, it sounds like what maybe what you're predicting is is, is not only going to be an Australian thing, but, you know, uh, delayed in, in, in other countries when, when, it, when it's uh, a better handle on the situation might happen as well. Yeah, yeah, I totally, I can relate to it. It, 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 it is indeed um, illustrative of what I'm predicting. But still, I think I know, um, I've been to Australia a few times and I know that people, okay, you have a fantastic country, you can go out with caravans and you can travel and do things. But I think because you are a country with many immigrants and with a lot of people having family overseas, I think there are a lot of people who are really longing to go abroad, to travel, and they probably think that that Australia is a small country and that they are confined to certain to certain region, only their own country. Even though you are, have a massive continent, I know that. Um, um, uh, but I remember because I've been a visiting professor in Hong Kong, and I went every year for three weeks. And after two weeks, I felt really like like as if it were a cage. Um, uh, so, so you want movement, you want to be able to go around. And, and uh, at least only the thought that you can go on a plane or to, you can go wherever you want anytime, that gives you such a fantastic feeling. And now we cannot do that. So we compensate by, by running a lot, by being outdoors, by hiking and so forth. And of course it's super nice, but still we miss the other um, cues, the other um, adventures and uh, experiences and our family. My wife is Greek and, and we have not been in Greece for one year. So that's difficult. Yeah, yeah. I know many of my my uh, colleagues, friends, we've all had plans at some point in these you know two years of travelling and uh, clearly they've, they've all been on hold. So I think the the, um, there's going to be a huge rush when 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 all yeah. the airline companies. I know that probably governments around the world are propping them up at the moment, but they will become extremely profitable in in, in, in no time when, when we get around yep. to that. Just a, a quick question, something that I wanted to to touch on. It's a little bit of a seg segue, um, uh, not a um, uh, not a nice one, but uh, not nice, but uh, not a clear one. Can you tell me a little bit about what, what you mean by playful work design? It's something that I wanted to, to uh, uh, make sure that we cover um, that attracted me. me. I, I'm, I'm interested about what does that, that mean? I'm, I'm forever looking at how we can improve our work conditions in, in, in the practice. Yeah. And, um, and I know that I love the idea of being playful and I'm very playful in my therapy. Um, uh, I'm very playful with my children. So just that word kind of jumps out at me. So what's what's meant by that? Playful work design. I'm very happy that you asked it, uh, Nesh. Uh, this is my favorite topic at the moment. So, so we started working on this about five, six years ago when I, I went to a conference in Estonia and um, I gave a keynote for, for a group of people, 600 people, HR managers, uh, but the organizers, they had a, another agenda as well. They wanted to talk to me. And, and one of the organizers was into, into a business where they were into gamification. 
gamification. So I had a lot of conversations and beers with the people to talk about gamification. And then, so it's not gamification, playful work design. Gamification is that companies, they put in, let's say, all kinds of games in the environment at work, um, um, a ping pong table, um, um, ping pong tennis table, um, um, you can have a PlayStation or whatever kind of device that you can use in between your work, for example. That would be um, uh, gamification. With playful work design, we say this is something that people do themselves. So it is defined as um, proactively changing the experience of work by making it more fun or more competitive. So it's not job crafting. Job crafting is proactively changing your work environment, your job demands and resources. And playful work design is doing the same work, but doing it in a different way. So for example, this conversation during this podcast, uh, Nesh, I could make it more playful um, to myself by um, telling myself, okay, you need to use during this conversation a very difficult word that doesn't make sense at all. I could make it super playful by, by suddenly saying to you a word to say, huh? what is he talking about? So I would, I would then um, grab your attention. I would make it interesting and exciting for myself. Or I could ask you free questions. Yeah, you are the person asking me questions. I know that. But I could start asking you questions and see how you deal with it. Um, uh, during a meeting, you can try to make people laugh. Um, if you have to deal with 300 emails, you can try to make a competition with yourself and say, okay, the next hours I'm going to get rid of at least 30. So you set a clock and try to break your own record. That is playful work design. Um, I do it by making my PowerPoints as beautiful as possible. So I use special software to make every slide look fantastic. Uh, so it can be done in many different ways. I, I, I had in one workshop, we had a pilot and he said, I'm working playful by saving kerosene by flowing and flying on the, on the air um, streams, let's say. So I'm trying to save kerosene by, by going on the air streams. And also I try to be exactly on a certain time in the time slot that I have, and I have to be at the airport. I try to be exactly at that moment at the airport. So, so this is making your work more playful. And by making it more playful, you make it more interesting. You can fight um, boredom. You can get rid of some stress because you make it more meaningful. By using fun, you, you create some cohesion with your colleagues. Uh, so using fun would be another way to make it playful. Um, yeah, so there are many, many different ways, but two categories, creating fun and designing your work to be a little bit more competitive, not with others, but with yourself. So it's quite intrinsic in, in, in nature. You're finding something that, that, whether it be novel or different, a challenge, uh, playful, enjoyable, that you're in some sense doing with yourself uh, yeah. and you may share it with someone or may not, but it's something that you're doing that is proactive uh, so exactly. that if, if, if life is, sorry, if work is becoming stale, um, you're changing it even though it's the same job. Exactly. So, so you might you might have repetitive work 
work as a cashier in a supermarket, but then try to imagine, use a fantasy to imagine what the story is behind every customer. Or, or you're, you're an accountant and you have to take care of a lot of bills and it's all numbers and it's starting to become boring. But you can try to imagine what is behind all the numbers, the stories that are behind it. And this fantasy would help you to make your day more engaging, more interesting, and you would probably work a little bit harder. So, so you, 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 you get yourself going, you make it interesting. And, and this is actually what I, I later realized. I've, I've read the work of uh, Csikszentmihalyi, who is known for his work on flow. Many people who experience this, this, this state of um, getting completely immersed in activities, they make it playful. So if you go back to his books from the 90s, then you see that he, he has many qualitative examples of actually what we are studying now uh, quantitatively, um, that people make their their work or their environment, they make it more playful. How do you study playful, you know, work, work uh, design? How, how do you go about seeing the, you know, uh, obviously going from a theory um, and, and an idea to, to putting some, uh, you know, qualitative, um, uh, oh, sorry, quantitative uh, um, data to it? How, how do you do that? Well, as I said, we started five years ago, six years ago. So first we conceptualized, we said, okay, what is all in there? And it was a lot of things in there. And, and we said, okay, let's just collect a lot of examples. So we made 200 items, examples of how people um, uh, make their own work more playful. So then we used the 200 items and we asked, um, I think it was about 10 experts to look at each of the items, whether they were clear, whether they found the items indicative of something. Um, so we, we tried to collect already some data. And then we chose the best items in terms of validity, in terms of whether they were clear, in, in, in terms of whether they were could be discriminated. And then the selection of items that we had from that, I think that must have been around 30 or so. We gave those items to 300 people. Then we did a factor analysis to see the structure of the items, whether they clustered. And then we found several clusters, but the basic clusters were designing your work to be more fun and designing your work to be more competitive. And then we reduced it. We made two scales of six items and that we used in now, I think maybe 10 new samples. It's also used in Israel. It's used in, in, uh, in Greece, in Italy. Uh, Mexico, many different places, uh, data are now collected. So we have evidence for a skill that is valid, that is reliable. So then you can use the skill to find people in organizations who do this. And we link it also to work engagement and performance. We see that people who do this are more creative, for example. Uh, we see that there are effects over time. We have learned that particularly people who are playful by nature and open to new experiences. They are really good at this. Uh, we see that you can use it to deal with boring work situations, but also with very emotional um, situations, particularly the fun part can be used to smoothen the tension, for example, a, a bit. And then we use, we, we, we track the people who are really good at this, at playful work design in organizations. We use their examples then in interventions where we teach the other people in the organization to, to do it in the same way. So, so we have 
we have we started with qualitative research we made it quantitative we followed then people over time in diary studies in, in longitudinal uh, survey studies and now we are doing um, interventions with consultants we also have pre-tests post-tests and um, yeah we find effects of this also um, experimental effects and what are those six skills what are those six uh, primary domains that uh, there are two basic two basic domains two basic Fun domains and competitive. yeah okay yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, two basic domains and um, but you can you can see that there is a certain nomological network around the, the concept of playful work design so for example the people who are using designing your work to be a little bit competitive like working against the clock or beating beating the clock, uh, beating your own personal record or getting rid of 30 emails in one hour. These are the people who are by nature a little bit more achievement oriented. Or um, people who have a creative personality, they are more likely to use fantasy and uh, to use uh, fun as a, as a redesign principle. So, so you can see that certain personalities are more likely to do this. But then if you look at work situations where people use it, it can be, it can be a surgeon. So, okay, a surgeon, there is a life at stake. Can you use playful work design? Well, you can try to do it as neat and as good and precise as possible to make as few mistakes as possible. That, that is the competition that surgeons do. And if you work as a, uh, at an assembly line, you can try to do things as fast as possible or as, as um, uh, efficient as possible. Uh, or use your fantasy and, and there's a little bit less at stake there but um, so people use it in all layers of work that you can find yeah very nice research i think yeah it's it's interesting because as you're rattling off some some of those i you know they're just kind of jumping out at me i've done you know lot, lots of uh repetitive jobs do you do it? In, in, in my life do, do you use it uh, yeah, look, I'm I'm on the I'm the industrious one, so you know, highly high conscientiousness. So for me, it's competition with you know widgets per per minute, per second, per hour, per something, um, and it's always about you know running faster. Um, yeah. uh, but uh, you know, or, or or it could be you know quality, um, you know precision. Uh, there, there, there's always something you know perfectionistic sort of you know world is is, is where I live. Yeah. Um, yeah. How about you? What, 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 what do you tend to lean towards? Well, one of the things I wanted to say that we use this playful work design concept now also in the sports domain. So I'm, I'm a runner. Um, uh, and we, so we, we developed now a new concept called a playful sports design, which you can apply to any sports, but also to running. And with running, I've noticed, yeah, you can, you can of course, go always the same um, roads, but you can also take side tracks, or you can try to move differently using different types of music. That's what people do. Uh, people try to reach the next or the every 10th tree that they meet in the forest. Or, you, you know, there are many different strange, playful ways that you can go about when, uh, when it comes to sports and particularly when it comes to training, because when you are in a competition, yeah, you need to score or you need to get this record or whatever. But in training, which is very repetitive, uh, we've seen that people use this a lot. And uh, yeah, I find it fascinating because it makes the things that you do 
in a structured way. So sports is one of them, work is another one. Um, you can make it more meaningful, more interesting. You can be more persistent. And uh, yeah, it can, it can help you. We have one paper in, the, in Canadian, the Canadian psychologist showing that if you use playful work design, you can better deal with your ruminative thoughts about COVID-19. So ruminative uh, thoughts about COVID-19 is related to depressive complaints and to exhaustion, but not so for people who use playful work design. So if you distract yourself by making your work more playful, then you don't think all the time about the crisis that we are in. So that is an interesting, uh, a fun finding that we have uh, done. And I find it, I think it's also very relevant. Yeah, I think it's uh, in some in some sense, you know, maybe the next frontier in, in, in looking at how we do our work where a lot of us are stuck in in you know, a, a job and irrespective of you know maybe moving from one company to, to, to the other there's a commercial reason that we have to kind of you know uh, maintain a particular uh, or a lifestyle that we've we've got that, that maintains a particular type of work and so it's not not that easy to pivot away from it um, but there you know what what you're saying is there's really a um, opportunity for us to do something intrinsically to to, to make that different. Arnold, I, I, I could talk to you for uh, hours and I'm so intrigued, particularly around this playful work design, which I'm going to go out and, and research a whole lot more now. Uh, where can people find out a little bit more about you and, and, and maybe you know, some of the topics that we've, we've covered today? Yeah, that's the slice that you ask it, Nesh. Um, so people can find um, um, out more about my work at my website, which is um, um, arnoldbucker.com. Dot com. So it's Baker with double K, arnoldbucker.com. And I have put there under the, under the uh, dimension of articles, I've put PDFs of all my articles. So most of them are in English and they are, um, I, I've put them there for uh, freely available. And um, so if you're interested in, in, in uh, job crafting, playful work design, burnout, or all the topics we talked about today, um, uh, you can find them there. Yeah, that's fantastic and uh, very generous of you as well to make all of those available because I know there's often, you know, those firewalls uh, that require payments and the like. And, and I think great work needs to be shared um, and, and, and you know utilised. And, and I'll certainly be taking some of these conversations through to my my uh, clients. So watch our clients next week. Um, uh, we're going to be having a good good chat about you know. How does your work look and the intrinsic things you can do about that? It's certainly something I haven't actually thought about before. So, you know, I've taken a lot from, from this. So I appreciate it. And, and obviously, you know, making those resources uh, available, I think is extremely generous. Thanks, Nash. It's really nice to, uh, to be in your show. Arnold, thanks again for, for, for your time. I'm cognizant of the time. If, if we didn't uh, have, a, have a hard stop and other, other obligations, I'd uh, pick your brain for a few more hours. But thanks again for your time and, and your expertise. And, um, yeah, I wish, we, we wish you the best. And next time you're in, in Oz, um, say hello. Come, come to Canberra. Okay, will do. Will do. Have a nice day. Cheers. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please support it by going to iTunes and putting a review subscribe, share it via social media, 
and tell others about it. Start a conversation. It's listeners like you that make this able and possible and why we bring in these guests to go out and share their knowledge and resources. And just lastly, if you are a psychologist and you want to go out and be part of a bigger team, develop your experience and get into some exciting work, come to strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers and reach out. I'd love to hear from you.